guys. It's not anywhere in the book. Hey everyone, welcome back to That's on the Book. I'm your host, Agent X, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please remember that no AA member, including myself or any guest I have on the show or anyone in an AA meeting speaks for AA as a whole. The only aim of this podcast is to be helpful. Uh, please remember you can get in contact with me at any time at that's not the book at hotmail.com. And I'm here with my guest, Sister Ignatia. And the reason is that because I actually have no fucking idea who Sister Ignatia is. And it's on page 171. Okay, here it is. A co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. The birth of our society dates from his first day of permanent sobriety, June 10th, 1935. To 1950, the year of his death, he carried the AA message to more than 5,000 alcoholic men and women. To all these, he gave his medical services without thought of charge. In this prodigy of service, he was well assisted by Sister Ignatia at St. Thomas Hospital in Akron. I have no fucking clue who that is. And I brought up my ignorance like two guests ago, and he didn't know either. And neither of us to this day have Googled who this bitch is. So just to consistently stay ignorant to who she is, we're just, some things I just don't care enough to learn yet. The concepts. That's <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> That's one of the things that I still am not interested in learning. I have deeply dove into the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. They have changed my life, and I am not interested in finding out about the concepts as of right now. Uh, and Sister Ignatia, I have no idea who she is, but it doesn't sound like she's an alcoholic. From it's saying like she was just a friend of AA, right? I'm not a friend of AA. I'm a member of AA because if I'm not, I'll die. Yeah. We don't do this because we want to. And it really like weirds me out. People who like Al-Anon's in general kind of weird me out. I'm like, why would you want to be in a relationship with me? (laughs) Are you married? Me? Yeah. No. Are you in a relationship? No. Were you in a relationship while drinking or sober? Yes. Okay. So how'd you fuck it up? (laughs) So funny. Um, So I had, I think I was at four years of sobriety when I met my ex. And within that next year, I started working myself out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nice. And he was a take it or leave it drinker, two martinis, sip on the glass, leave the glass. And when I met him, I made it very clear that if anybody called, that I would have to go wherever we were. I have these commitments. And at that year five of my sobriety, I remember really glamifying being at the bars with him where it used to be. We can go to our restaurant. I have a purpose to be there to then me being like, we can sit at the bar or we can go to the bar. And then I was like, we can sit at the bar. And then I confused my ability to be anywhere to be of service where a drunk may need me to an ego which was my disease saying, you have every right to sit at this bar. You have by then six years sober, right? Seven years sober. And so what I did in that relationship was I used it as the reservation to stop doing the things that God let me do, that I got to do to remain sober, to after probably over a year of these reservations and you know, plotting and planning with my disease, definitely talking with my disease more than I was talking to God. Definitely. Um, you know, to make excuses of things that I had going on in my home life to tell the three sponsees that I had that they needed to find somebody that had more time available to them because I needed to be here for my daughter. And that wasn't true. And I was paying babysitters to watch her so that I could go to the state that my ex lived at nice. so that I could be in flights. I relapsed. Fucking awesome. It's yeah. awesome because it's so, so like so helpful, and it's so, I I understand how insensitive it sounds like when I'm like, no. that is a dope rock bottom story. Yeah, but like yeah. these are the things that 
happen to us, by us, from us, when I become a spiritually disconnected alcoholic, this is on offer for me today, okay? This is on offer for anybody today. And I had just met you today in a meeting and um, yeah. it was like one minute till the end of the meeting and your hand was up, but I didn't know you. And I was like, let's, and I actually said, I'm going to be drunk with power and let yep. Sister Nasha take us out. And you had me in tears just absolutely in tears, on fire again, so excited for the truth about recovery. And in the morning, this morning, I um, texted my sponsor and I was like, I hate AA. And she had said, Mm. I said this in the meeting, but I was like, you know, she said if she were ever to write my memoir, I'd be like, she was leaving Alcoholics Anonymous. Because every three months, I'm like, what the fuck are we even doing here? This is such a mess. This is so ridiculous. Like, I, I monitor against my will completely some facebook groups i I don't even know i'm like mad at god for the service that i do and um and today it was like this post about how dare anyone judge an alcoholic who smokes weed and i just that happened this morning right and i'm like i use drugs to be sober say that out loud you know and i'm just like what the fuck are we doing here and i got just like i'm leaving i hate it i'm always leaving you know and then um just listening to your story and experience with active addiction and then coming back to aa and then experiencing what the promises laid out in the book are, I was actually crying listening to you (laughs) because we are so lucky. Like we're so fucking lucky. And I mean, I'm sorry that you were six years over and then drank again because it must've at the time been a horror show, but this isn't a sobriety contest. And um, I don't, want to be sober. I don't want to just be sober. Okay. That's not, that's not cash and prizes to me. For me, just being sober is torture. So having a lot of sobriety, I don't talk about how long I've been sober in meetings on the podcast as much as I don't have to. I'll in, on my birthday, I'll tell people. So like, look, you can be sober multiple years, but that is the least relevant part of my recovery is how many days I've strung together because I haven't strung anything together. It wasn't me. Right. So you were sober for six years. And what was the first time you came into AA? What was the solution that you're presented? Yeah. So I was at, by the end, it was seven and a half years before I picked up a drink. Wow. But I say at six years, I was working myself out no longer living spiritually. And then my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous, Lord, I'm 39. I came in at 17. Oh, oh, just so painful. I would rather be out and drunk than in and sober and not. Do you, do you think? See, that sounds like torture to me. So when people are shocked to shit where I'm giving them the Marty man test, I'm like, oh, you don't know if you need to work the steps. Let's go to the bar. I'll hook you up. People are like, what the fuck? And I'm like, because I feel like that is kinder than to sit here half in, half out. It sounds like purgatory. Was that experience purgatory? It was painful. I think it was five years before I was bawling my eyes out in a room with no one I knew with me hysterically crying, saying the first time out loud that I was an alcoholic. And I had no idea what that meant. And I did not leave with numbers, mm-hmm. right? I left with people telling me to keep coming. What does that mean? Yeah. Why? What? And then, <laughs> right? Like, what are you offering besides So I, I just came cried. today and nothing happened. So if I come again, is something going to happen? <laughs> just keep coming, right? Like, really sweet old ladies, you know, tapping my hand saying, um, don't quit before the miracle happens. And I'm standing there like, what the fuck? What? What's the miracle? I feel devastated. Right. So I left and drank. Mm. I left and drank. And then I came back, I'd say when I was 20, 
seven, something happened. Something happened. I was at war with God at that point for many of years. I did not have God. And um, my child was two. I was absolutely insane. DTs all day work. Pint Captain Morgan's in my purse always for life, not for luxury. Mm. To live, to not shake, to stop the sweating. And um, I had a really rough night that I cannot exactly remember what entailed. But I remember waking up in the morning and her crying in her crib and me being so angry that she was being so selfish (laughs) at two because this hurt so bad. Mm. And I remember at the time, my apartment had this beautiful green marble counter and I was you know, hands stretched out, clenching on it and was like, God, if you're there, help me, right? Help me. And I tell you, my phone rang and it was my younger sister. And she said, if you need me to take care of my niece, that you can go get help. I can do that. Jesus. Oh my God. And I didn't know, I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that was a sign. And I, I called the detox and, uh, I packed a bag. I stood in a line where other people were waiting to, you know, like, I don't know, get their fingers sewed back on. So I was very obviously packing luggage, right? Like staying Mm. and got to my, you know, destination of this woman. And I just like started bawling. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an alcoholic and I need help. Mm. And that was my first trip to not only detox, but followed by, um, within two years of that losing everything and being back in detox with the people that are hired by the state to say you were unfit to be alone with your child, taking her and saying, you've got to get better. And I also worked for the agency that was the halfway house and I'd use FMLA to move in. And that was my first, just God, take me. I can't do this experience in in Alcoholics Anonymous and in my life. Oh, I keep getting chills. You've given me chills three times today and I just met you. It's 1130 in the morning. <laughs> and it's, it's what for me, it's 1030 at night for me. Yeah, God. <laughs> and you had no idea that you were going to be on a podcast right now, but no, you know, it's happening. What, What's the truth today? I mean, if you came from where I came from and you live the life I live today, I want to be of service to you, right? Like if you came where you came from with a baby, you know, I was a single mom as well. And I remember um, just being so abusive to him one day. And, and it was when I was actually doing a hypnosis CD to quit drinking and he started crying. And I remember like this rage coming over me of like, why can't this child just understand that I need to quit drinking? Like it was the most delusional just, and I went into rage and like, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be able to amend that little thing enough, but, um, if you were where I was, which was an inability to control my behavior in the face of a desire to do so, in a, in the face of, um, you know, l- being presented with losing your children, losing your life, your job, your home, losing your partner, losing all these things, and yet my mind talking me into drinking again over and over and over, you know, I'm baffled baffled at the, by the midway of my drinking, not even at the end. I'm pretty baffled yeah. at the beginning of my drinking. I'm baffled at just the sheer ability to embarrass myself, you know, <laughs> the sheer, all those dumb things that I would do, uh, just the stupidity of it. I was baffled then. Um, yeah. And things only getting worse and worse and worse to where, as you're describing, like, having a two year period of despair going, how the fuck did I get back here? I didn't want to be doing this for the past two years. Yeah, I didn't want to be doing it the whole time, you know? So when we have opportunities to simply be of service, we're going to jump on that. And me and uh, Mrs. Jones, your friend, 
have just decided yes. we're going to do um, a workshop, a steps workshop. And here's what we've decided to name it, although we won't. Agent X, Agent X and Mrs. Jones give an accurate representation of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Doesn't that sound like a good workshop? An accurate, I think it does. Right? An accurate yeah. representation of the steps. Because um, we aren't waiting in recovery in AA anymore. We are not swimming in deep pools of substance today. I don't know if you'll agree. Um, I do. So a lot of objection comes from me when I am in the recovery arena, say of a meeting or a Facebook group or anywhere and not hearing any depth and weight of recovery. It is objectionable to me. So <laughs> my job today as a recovered alcoholic, just from the big book solution that was offered to me for fun and for free, is to attempt to be an accurate representation of the program. And what that looks like is doing lots of stuff like let's do a podcast where me and my homies that I just met talk about it and let's yeah. do a workshop. And so if you are listening and you are interested, we will get that up and going as quickly as possible. This, uh, I have about four to six weeks of podcasts that are pre-recorded, so you may miss it next time. Next time. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> I can't plug anything on this podcast and it doesn't matter. I do all this for fun and for free anyway. So my favorite is one of the, um, one of my guys that's on here, he runs an Instagram meme account for years now. And he has like I think he has like 200,000 followers or something like this amazing amount of followers on Instagram. But because he's AA, like he has to stay completely anonymous and can't profit off of it. So like his meme account actually could make him money and he can't do it. I can't make yep. money either. Nothing. Not yep. a dime. Not a cent for fun and for free. Yeah. So, so today, you know, um, you went back through your steps, you got a different sponsor and had a different experience. And what was the most profoundly different part of that experience looking back in hindsight? Cause this whole recovery thing is simply hindsight to me. Agreed. I'll tell you, I had switched from living in Massachusetts to East Hartford when I was in the grips of my disease with my ex and I had another moment out there, right. Of like, just hearing God, you know, because I, I could say I'm somebody that's had burning bushes. I have had huge, amazing spiritual awakenings and God literally picking me up and putting me from one place to another, because I don't have the ability to make good choices. And I woke up one morning and heard that voice again and said, this isn't my plan for you. That's what I heard. Hmm. And in that, I connected through COVID, Zoom, I don't even know how. And what's funny is, who is my sponsor now was one of the very first people I connected to then. Right. And it took me almost two years to spin back around to her to say, do you remember me? And she said, yes. And I said, I'm not, I'm 19 days sober. I've probably relapsed 50 times since I've spoken to you. I'm dying. I'm 19 days sober and I'm dying. And, and no fault of the sponsor I have. I need to get this step work done. I need to get this writing done. I need to share this with God and somebody else. Are you available to work with me? And she said, yes. And I think by what was my day 20, that was my day one with her. We just went on fire. Like mm. she just allowed me to, she had the availability to meet my willing to go to any lengths yeah. that got us through and these isms, right? Because like, I've got, I've got the bottle issue, right? But then I've got all these isms, I've got all these character defects and I just was so ready to get rid of them that something occurred as soon as I started sharing with her, like, listen, I'm also doing this like X, Y, and Z. And I know it's wrong. Hmm. And as soon as I said it out loud to her, these things that I'm still doing on a daily basis that I know are wrong, it stopped hmm. automatically. It stopped. And 
she took me through and I'm currently, as I shared earlier with you in the meeting that we're in, I, for the first time ever in this program of being thorough and being honest, I've made the biggest men's I've been holding on to for over 20 years. Say it because and it just made me cry when you said it. Yeah, I was, I was absolutely filled with fear, but again, felt bubble wrapped. Mm-hmm. It can't be worse than the pain. And the freedom that occurred from that one men's that I had to make of telling a woman that I worked for over 20 years ago that I had stolen thousands of dollars and I was ready to do whatever I needed to for her to see for me to make this right. And for her to say, I already had a feeling. I appreciate the call and I'll add you to my prayer list lifted. And I just went on fire, just checking Mm -hmm. off, checking off, calling, making men's whether I have the money right now, financially or not. Mm-hmm. I need you to know that I know that I remember I owe you 300. I know I owe you 1200. I know. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And from there, I just days, weeks went by where I just woke up and was like, holy shit. Right. Like, I don't want to die. I want to live. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I remember this. I remember when I wanted to just allow God to make me the woman that he had always intended for me to be. And the way to do that is to do service work and make myself available to others. I remember this. I have purpose. I'm not a mistake, right? Like there is the experiences that I've had in hindsight, right? Bad choices. I'm an alcoholic. In hindsight, I needed this. I needed this, this, this big book thumping, bleeding deacon that treated people (laughs) like pigeons and less than, right? I had to go back. I had to go back so that I could have this new experience and be available with empathy, with Mm -hmm. love and compassion. I just, I can like, don't want to say anything. It it just makes me cry again. And I go from like, fuck it, I hate this to, you know, being reminded of what's truly on offer and what our primary purpose in the whole world is. I am not a useless human being anymore. I'm not just sucking up the world. I'm not sucking from you and the people around me, including my children and my husband, just what you can give out of me, get or what I can get out of you for the day. Because my primary purpose in life before, without purpose, my only purpose in life is is to experience pleasure. And I would put people, places, and things in a position to give me more pleasure that was available or due to me is what step six says in the 12 and 12, you know, like you actually aren't built to fulfill this huge gaping hole in my soul that's been there my whole life, you know, no man or child or job or dress size is going to fill this massive hole in my heart. And when I'm reminded, like, oh, yeah, when I clear off the channel between my head from my heart by the actions of step four, but mostly nine, P.S., step four is an awakening of heart and mind, not so much an action of humility, which comes from five, six, seven, eight, and nine, right? In this walk to humility of being armed with facts about who and what I am, that's what humility is. It's not being humiliated, though I felt a lot of embarrassment in step nine, and I do see the lengths that I'll go to to ward off embarrassment right? So what's the worst that's going to happen in that step nine experience? You're going to feel embarrassed. Well, you might go to jail, maybe, but like, that's not embarrassing. You know, Uh, I am more worried about the embarrassment that I will feel admitting to you my flaws than I will any consequences of me admitting the flaw. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Like, like I'm actually mostly not making this amend because I'm going to look dumb. So this like profound fear And it's not a life or death situation, but to me, I'd rather drink it away than feel embarrassed. You know, I'd rather drink it away. So when we take the actions and the truth is revealed to us out of this trudge, out of this walk to a different destiny, you know, with God, 
Um, the miracle isn't, it doesn't get less cool to me in other people. Your miracle fucking is the dopest shit to me where I was, what was I doing in the meeting? I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like swearing, screaming in the meeting. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like Arsenio Hall whooping and shit like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Wait, what did he do? He used to bark. Are you old enough to know who Arsenio Hall is? I, I am. Yeah. You are. You're almost my age. I have a lot of wisdom in these couple of years older than you. <laughs> I do not. Um, anyway, so your step nine story is the fucking story. Like this is the solution to alcoholism. This is the disconnection between my, my head to my heart, clearing out the blockage. And, um, yeah, today it's just a different, it's just a better way, isn't it? It's a better way. And if I can be of service to other people because of my experiences, then I want to go to any length to do that, you know, any length. So you and I are on page 70. Do you have a big book with you? I do. I know you have to, you have to find it because again, I didn't even tell you we like what was happening. You just said that you were bored and I was like, well, if you're bored, I'm going to put you to work by delivering the message. Yeah. So I'm just in my vampire darkness, but I can turn the light on for you. <laughs> well, we usually don't get very far. We're on page 70 and you're going to be my fourth person on this page. And we are not even halfway down the page yet. So it's not like we get too far for this stuff. Um, awesome. Next week, Calamity with Serenity meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern time in America, uh, 10 a.m. Friday, Australia time. If anyone like to email me for that flyer, I will be talking about leading the group on the sex inventory, which is just my favorite fucking part in the book. And the reason that this is my favorite part in the book is because I do not believe this has much to do about sex. Yes, we can use it with sex, but I use the sex inventory with relationship. And I prove that we can use it with relationship because you can put your mother-in-law in this inventory. You can put the old fucker in the AA meeting that just tells you to put the plug in the jug. You can mm. use this inventory with literally any human that you are in a relationship with. And I like to challenge sponsees often um, if you are having a relationship problem with someone you're in relationship with, meaning your family or your friends or your co-workers, to write through this instead of a resentment inventory and see, see how I'm showing up in the world. Mm. All of these inventories have the a couple primary purposes and not not many right one is to arm myself with facts about who and what i am with and without god because there are two different very different agent x's and you know when we get to the fear inventory it's like well why are we so scared well it's because all i have is 34 years of evidence of what my life void of god direction looked like and it was a fucking shitty show. It was terrible. Nobody was hanging out with me. Like, that's a horrible show. You should be afraid without God. Your monkeys are smoking crack, man. Mm -hmm. This is my circus. These are my monkeys. <laughs> my monkeys are literally like on Valium. Okay. My monkeys are so fucked, dude. So my circus with my monkeys with Void of God is a depressing, terrifying place to live. And so I don't have any evidence of what a God-centered life would look like, but I have so much evidence of what Agent X-centered life looks like that I am willing to attempt a different way, right? And that's all. It says a million times that the key ingredient here is simply my willingness to stop playing God. My willingness is just to try this, even though some of this is scary. Do you know when like the old timer things that people say that is probably the most terrifying, but becomes more abundantly true the longer I'm recovered is the answer is do nothing. <sighs> so fucking scary. It's so scary because a lot of time God doesn't need my help. Right. It sounds almost irresponsible, but the longer that I'm here, the more that that's the answer. So we're doing these inventories to see the truth about who and what we are and to begin the unblocking process of my head to my heart. So that's just my example. When I come from my head, it's always Agent X, it's always egoic, and it's always wrong. 
not always, but let's say 90%, okay? When I come from my head, it's loud. It is Agent X and all that she comes with, all those defects of character. Now, when I come from my heart, it is always God. It is always my soul. It is usually quiet. It speaks in short sentences, and it comes from a place of compassion. <laughs> now, both of those things have always existed in me as they exist in you and every other human being, you know, like we are all both equally egoic in God, in my experience, in my, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. And every one of us has God deep down inside of them. And that's my heart. Now, over the years of my alcoholism, my addictions, and me running the show, I've become blocked off from my head to my heart. And so this awakening process is simply identifying what it is in me that has blocked up the channel from my ego to my soul and to have that unblocking process. Because later it says a promise is like, well, God gives you a brain to use. My ego is not is not for naught. Like, I need my ego not to murder people. I need my ego for basic human living. Like, actually, my ego isn't your amigo. I mean, kind of fucking is, actually. Like, it gets me up and out of my house to go to work some days. It keeps me from leaving my marriage some days. It keeps me from, you know, doing horrible things. Like, it keeps me from running over my neighbor. Like, there's, it, my ego actually is keeping me alive. When it becomes the driving force, however, that's, um, that's not God. That's the yelly, screaming, grouch, brainstorm Agent X who ends up being a tornado running the show. Yeah. Yeah. So the first step of which is not actually acceptance. I'm sorry. I'm going to shit on this page all the time. Page 417. Here's why I shit on it. Acceptance is not the answer to all my problems today. It's, it's a part of the process to my problems. But really the first solution to all my problems is identifying what it is in me that's blocking me off from God. That has nothing to do with acceptance. Actually, I can't accept shit till I see what's blocking me off from God, you know, and those about me. So how does it materialize? How does this blockage materialize in your life? Mostly for me, it's in fear and resentment. Fear. I, I've come... I've come full circle with so many things hmm. because I remember I used to hear things from people that like I respected their program sobriety, what have you. So I'd be like, yes, that makes sense. Right. But like coming back with this new lens, things like hearing like fear and faith can't exist together. I mm -hmm. don't truly believe that at all because my fear is actually typically a driving force to bring me back to God. And with that, that was beautiful. <laughs> if I don't have fear and if my life, right, if, if one, two and three happens like that mm -hmm. and then I work four through nine like that and I'm living 10, 11, 12 on a daily basis like that. And if I'm doing that without fear somewhere, I think I may get either like whatever I might end up narcissistic. I might end up egocentric. But I don't think I'm going to go back to God if I don't have to. So I, I argue now, not with everyone, but when I hear like faith and fear can't exist together, I know no other way. And even yeah. if we were to get biblical, show me where that hasn't happened. If we're going to go back, what brings people to God when I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do and I think I'm going to die? Yeah. Right. And so when I have fear, when I have um, any emotion, when I have anything that happens that occurs, even taking from the acceptance prayer, right? Like something, someone, something's going wrong, right? Like I'm not accepting that. So that means in some way it is affecting me. How, mm. Why is it affecting me? Right. Have I read page 86 today? Mm. Am I using my brain? Am I angry about the cars? Is it because the yellow lights aren't long enough and I need more time? There needs to be another light in between. I don't know. Right. But all those things are not happening to me. Mm -hmm. And when I feel that life is happening to me, then I have somewhere became self-absorbed. I've somewhere shut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit. And it's a me problem. Mm -hmm. Not you. 
Um, so yeah, fear, absolutely mania, these things that I thought would be taken from me, just like, just taken from me as a result of working these steps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, my first step six and seven was so profound that like, all of a sudden I became for the first time in my life wrong. But second of all, like I could see this shit. I'd be driving down the road and look at someone. I'd be like, your hair is fucking terrible. Judgmental. And it would like flash in front of my eyes. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, look at you. Oh, stop. Gross. And I became disgusted and like tired of myself. And I was like, this is amazing. Fuck agent X. First of all, I want nothing to do with her. God, just fix it. Take it away. I'm done. You know, like I'm ready to live your, your, your life life. And then I was shocked to shit that that was not a permanent state of being, right? Like shocked to shit that all I couldn't just float through the rest of my life on a cloud of God dependence, right? Because we want to, we have some evidence today of what that life looks like, where I am trusting God with no fear, because I have evidence, right? Um, that is not an accurate representation of my life today. Okay. It's just not on a day-to-day basis. I wake up, uh, mildly spiritually disconnected and simply with the proposition of, am I going to run this shit myself today? And if the answer is no, then it doesn't just automatically mean that I'm fine or that I'm not faced with an abundance of objectionable, fear-inducing life calamities because that shit happens. And if I was just waking up a man of faith, like, oh, get a faith thing, get a fix it. And first of all, I'm jealous. I am jealous of the little old Christian ladies on a Sunday that's like, oh, Jesus is going to come save me. Like, I just, I'm fucking jealous of your faith. And it says that in the book too, that we can be jealous of these people, other people's faith. And God, I wish I had that. I personally, Agent X, have to do a lot of work to get from the fear to the faith. However, I have to do work. I can't just arrive there. And um, I've been dealing with a lot of profound serenity in the past month. And it came with my child. I have a drug addicted child who is now escalated to, I mean, we escalated like I can't even so quickly, right? He's a husband number four and he's 16 years old. We, I'm, he may die soon, right? That's where we are. And I was talking to a girlfriend who's known me for years who I hadn't been speaking to about this yesterday. And she goes, oh my God, you're like so calm. You're so serene. You're so God focused. She's like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And I'm like, well, no, it is amazing that the 12 steps work. But it's not amazing because the only way I got here was through the pain of hell, which I've never experienced before. I was in so much pain around this problem, so much fear that I felt like my heart was going to stop beating. I remember being in this panic attack for maybe a week straight over his insane behaviors and the fear around my son's death that I felt like my thought was like, my heart is going to rip. If it doesn't, if God doesn't let up on this pain, my heart's going to actually rip. And um, Al-Anons may not drink themselves to death, but they fucking die of physical ailments. And I understand why that is, right? My stomach and my chest, I felt like I was going to die for so many days that I ended up out of necessity from fear of my own death, right? That the pain was too much. I was going to die that I, I had to abandon myself to God as I understand God in another Mm -hmm. step three around my child. That was like a weeping, dry, heaving God, right? And as a result, immediately the pain had been removed from me. That problem had been removed. So, so today I'm in profound serenity in the face of calamity by humbly relying upon him, right? And doing what I think that he would have me do. It's pretty good news because everyone in my family has fallen apart in their own way. Like everyone's kind of dropped. <laughs> like We're all standing there. Three months ago, we were all fucking eating dinner together. And now we've all like descended <laughs> into darkness. Yeah. And I, lack of power is still my dilemma. Okay. Lack of power is always my dilemma. And However, when I, who I've placed at the orbit of my family, am calm, serene, 
and faithful upon God and God dependent, it gives everyone else around me space to recover themselves. I can't fix or control everyone, but my recovery is a tornado in both ways. I can get you, um, I can't get you drunk or sober, but I can maintain a level of peace and serenity through my own recovery for other people. Like my sickness flings off to those around me, but my recovery also flings off to those around me. Does that make sense? Yes. And in none of this journey from my head to my heart of Agent X screaming, yelling in pain to my heart of now peace, serenity, calm, trust, love, compassion, um, was it me just accepting this? It was a lot of seeing how my desire to play God wasn't working and causing more harm. And that's what these inventories are about. Yeah. 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 So when we get to this, this sex inventory, what did we find out? Well, I found out that I was the common denominator in every shitty relationship I had. Fuck. I was really sure it was that. <laughs> what did you find out in your sex relationship inventory? I found such a redundancy in my patterns. And that yeah. may sound very blank and dry and cliche, but I mean, I got sick of writing the same exact of like, here's, here's my part over and over again. Right. I, from learned behaviors, survival skills, what have you young, I mirrored and picked relationships that were rocky from the start that had red flags. See, I didn't learn that. That's just me running the show. Does that make sense? Like, that's just me without God picking partners. That's my best mind, baby. Like, absolutely. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Let's paint these fucking red flags green. Watch me. I'm an artist. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, it's just kind of like I, I picked, let's say John Doe and then I pick John. (laughs) Those are the same names. Yep. So whatever, whatever their names are, Bob, right? But like what happened was wherever it was that I got that like God sense, that intuition of like, this is not where you belong. It's going to get worse. Mm. My part, right? Like I stayed, I became a willing participant in toxicity that now I have learned to make it all about me, to victimize myself, yes. to spin back around and have these makeup breakups for years and years and years and just change their name. Absolutely. Um, it's probably where I am the most offensive is in your sex inventory as a sponsor because the common denominator was you. And it takes two people to be in an abusive relationship and becoming this willing participant to be a victim. I don't remember the movie, but I feel like it was a Sandra Plick movie or something. And he's like, you date these losers so that you could be a victim. And I'm like, oh, crikey. Like that hurts my heart, you know, where the, my absolute truth in relationship is that I use people. I use men to make me yeah. feel good. And you are here to serve a purpose for me. And as soon as you are in, no longer capable of making me feel the way that I want to feel, I will turn you off like a light switch and replace you and move on. And um, I remember my my longest, dearest friends telling me, you, you treat people like they're disposable. And that came about most in um, my sex inventory. You know, one of my to- most toxic traits that I did for years was I would make plans with six or five, six people lots of same night for dates and shit. And then I would decide on the day who sounded the most fun and then go mm. out with them. How is that not the sickest shit, man? Like I'm so, yep. <laughs> I would just, yeah. and I went call. Um, when I learned the word ghosting at 30, I was like, Oh, I've never not ghosted someone. <laughs> I thought it was kinder just to stop answering you. <laughs> like, oh my God. 
So Laura, I, I thought everybody did this. <laughs> that was how you everybody's lining up on Monday. Who's going to be the best choice for Friday when I've picked <sighs> yeah. four or five maybes and then chose one like I'm on some dating show and this guy won <laughs> and when no they're all making knew. plans. <laughs> like <sighs> Oh, yeah. profound. And you know, I never, I never ended a relationship without having a new one. I was never faithful, not ever. Um, and, yeah. and it just so clearly as you're writing through these inventories over and over with just a different name, it's my exact same behavior with a different name on top. And the true depth and weight of who I was, was most revealed in this inventory. And that's why I, li I like it the most, you know, this is how I see that. And we have to, you know, we come up with these sane and sound sex ideals, sane and which I use for everything, sane and sound uh, parenting ideal, sane and sound uh, work ideal, sane and sound uh, uh, sponsorship ideal. So I'm, I, I now have sat with God about a bunch of these things that I've seen, how I act in the world, how I turn yeah. up. And my sane and sound ideal with my partner currently is so it's humiliating, but it's like that James's needs be equal to mine. I needed to be taught that with a 12 step program, a sponsoring God, I don't wake up normal. <laughs> no. No. I had to be taught with God that my partner's needs should be equal to my own fucking wild, right? We are not saints. Let's just cut that close. So here we go. Page 70 to sum up about sex. We earnestly pray for the right ideal. So there we go. That's saying and sound at sex. I love when I like say stuff and then it's exactly what we read. We earnestly play, pray for the right ideal. And again, I take through, I, I know that you're, actively hunting for sponsees and please if you need yeah. a sponsor call like send me an email i'll get you fucking with sister ignatia immediately but um i hear a lot of people not doing written sex inventories and it just is like this is the good shit where it says we write this stuff down and then it says for the sane and sound sex ideal here this is an instruction we earnestly pray for it so there, it says that there's an action here in your sex ideal to be taken, which is praying for the right ideal. Because all that came out of that sex inventory for me was Agent X's ideal. And those monkeys, again, were smoking crack in the bathroom. Like when I was fucking running the circus of my relationship life, of my sex life, it was a nightmare. My life was, a, I mean, it was fun. I had a good time. I'm not going to lie. I had a good 20s. <laughs> it says, um, if we earnestly play, pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If mm. sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the heartache into helping others. This is um, one of the most important things that I can talk about. And every time I talk about this publicly, somebody messages me that goes, oh, my God, me too. Nobody talks about this in AA. And I have no idea what your experience is because some people have the opposite. When I got sober, I could no longer have sex consciously with my husband. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. Because very quickly, I realized that never, ever, since I lost my virginity, which was drunk, had I ever had sex over. So here I am, 34, married to someone for eight continuous years, a gorgeous man having this sex life that I had put all my value into. I used my sexuality as currency. So here's how I'm going to make up for all my bad behavior of the day. You're welcome. You know, aren't yep. you fucking privileged to be in this yep. relationship? Sure, I just, you know, break broke everything in the house and drunkenly tried to stab you, but I'm going to get a little bit more wasted and give you an amazing night. Okay. Yep. <laughs> this is my currency. So when I became sober, I remember coming into an AA meeting 
couple weeks in gushing like tears. Like I was shaking. I was hysterical because I realized that this was a problem. I could not have sex sober. Um, and I was such a fucking drama queen the first like month. I cried every day for 30 days that everyone was like bored of it. Nobody was rushing to my aid. And finally, you know, an old lady was like, what, what is it now is, is Gen X. And I whispered to her, I said, I, I can't have sex. And she actually started crying and she pulled me in the back room because she was like, Oh honey, this is actually a thing that happens. You know, this is actually a real thing. And so it, you know, she pointed out all the places in the book that sex can be a problem and not just that I want to go have sex with everybody. I'm not Bill W just 13 stepping the newcomers. I'm a happily married long-term woman who has a lot of sex issues around myself, my body, my worth, my currency of sex, how I view sex, how I treat other people with sex, how I manipulate with sex. Like there is depth and weight here. Yeah. Did you find this stuff as well? Many times, Mm. many times because I, I love how you said that, right? Like I use sex as a currency. Like this is my contribution to (laughs) whatever mistakes have been made. So this now means that I put a seal on my behavior. I no longer have to be accountable because if you were still that upset, you would not have accepted sex from me. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Paid in full. Paid in full. full. Right? Over. It's how... It's, it was my worth, you know, it's the one thing that I could offer that, um, would make up right for all the bad behavior. And, you know, we were so baffled by my behavior at the end of my marriage. I mean, everyone around me was, this was, I mean, I was insane. I was bedridden. My kids had to have someone, you know, paid to care for them because they just weren't safe with me. I was, um, I was in my bed most of the day, every day. Um, I was so sick and it was, at I got sober at the time when my partner was most successful that he's ever been. So it was this weird, like he had gifted me a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful life. And I just wanted to, I was just drinking myself to death and no one can figure that out, you know? And it was like the one thing that even though my behavior was so hideous and so horrendous, I could still have sex. And so when I got sober and realized like, oh, fuck, you want to do what with your what? That's disgusting. Get away. F- oh, God, that is offensive, right? That is violating. No, thank you. Like, it really, I was scared. Um, I was scared of this. And I, no one can see me, but like, I remember the first time having sex with my husband. Again, eight years married. I was my hands were over my eyes and I was like, my hands were actually pushed out, like, like shielding myself. I was horrified and got, I think about the experience from his point of view and what the fuck do you do? This is your wife who you've loved for years. Like this isn't new to him. (laughs) And, uh, this was so painful. So this is one of the first things that she brought me to. This is one of the the pages that, and it's actually written many times. So if you need someone to direct you, please email me and I can show you the other places it's written in as well. But it says, we earnestly pray for this right ideal for guidance in these questionable situations, uh, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is really troublesome, Go help other people, Agent X. Go live your primary purpose. Now, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. A lot of the time when I'm in fear, the answer is do nothing. And this kills me, right? I'm like, but I got to fix it. I love him. Like, he's going to leave me. I got to fucking fix this problem. What do I do? My faith in God is immense. However, it's really questionable about his timeline. Okay. I don't like that God sometimes takes time to appear and that the path is sometimes a longer than because I really want my problems to be fixed immediately and not to have actually happened at all. So when I do have these problems, I'm like, okay, God, I'm willing take it, fix it, go, you know, It's not always how it works. Just because I have a path to God doesn't mean that he's working on my timeline. And that's for a lot of things, isn't it? Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 In all my affairs. 
<laughs> so only all the problems. Right. <laughs> including sex. So the reason that I emphatically talk about this all the time with passion, even though it's like a little bit embarrassing, is that this took time for me. It took a lot of work and a lot of God and a lot of action and a lot of talking to other women because I'm not the only person who struggled with this. And I've had men, as soon as I say this in a meeting as well, be like, oh, fuck me too. I just can't tell anyone. I'm like, no, no, you're very much not alone. Um, So when we come to this problem of sex, whether it be you abstain, have fear, have these profound issues like a lot of us do, or you want to use sex more because it's an endorphin hit because we're sober and miserable because this is something to make you feel good. You know, each one of these things, the answer is going to remain the same. I need to look at who I am in sex relationships and the sex inventory works well for that. I need to pray for a sane and sound sex ideal, no matter what the person And I need to keep my head down and keep helping the drunks in front of me so my sex problems don't take over my life. Very clear cut, isn't it? So profound just in this moment of hearing you, you know, thinking about how many times when I was under the influence of alcohol that not only I used it to fix right? To bandage whatever wrongdoings I did to whoever is my sex partner at that time. But as a sober woman learning right now, how to carry myself and how to use these things the right way Mm -hmm. that also I again, get to turn back to this book as my dose of medication because my sex drive has been nothing. I don't have one, but I didn't realize until just now speaking with you, it's because I'm not as actively trying to use it to fill the voids and the mistakes I've made because I'm no longer making those voids and those mistakes Mm -hmm. and they're getting filled by the opportunities from this book, right? I don't have to make a sexual amends as of right now because on a daily basis, I'm using these principles. Hmm. That's beautiful. And I didn't think about that until you just put everything you did together. Yes. Our sex powers are are God-given and therefore good. But I don't believe God is ever going to use my sex powers in a manipulative state. And so um, there's so much work that can be done here. Like, Lord have mercy. But um, You know, these powers are used to strengthen and enhance my marriage, right? When I use them with God. And also, um, when you are single, you get to use these powers for connection with other people when you're growing relationships. So none of this stuff is like a straight pepper diet or no flavor for our affair. Like we get to find this whole new relationship with ourselves, our bodies and other humans through this life of sex. But when I'm no longer using it as a tool to fill up the hole in my soul, I don't need to be out there having sex the way that I did, say, in my 20s when I wasn't in a relationship. Like, I don't need to use people, places, and things to fill up the hole in my soul anymore. Therefore, the sex drive doesn't have to be the same. If you were in a new relationship, don't you worry, it will come back, right? But that's God, that's God's gift, right? You being able to focus on yourself and your recovery and your kid right now and not have to be running out being who we used to be, it's just a gift. That mental obsession is no longer there. And through the years, I found, you know, I can mentally obsess about everything, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, power, prestige. That's what's listed. So if I'm not spiritually fit, my mind will go back to a sex drive that's out of control, demanding more from men than they are able to give to me. Right. That's fucking this book, mm-hmm. man. But look at us. <laughs> calm, happy, joyous, and free. It's like 
fucking 3 a.m. at your house hanging out with me. And that was a beautiful episode. Thank you for coming on sporadically, literally out of nowhere. That was an hour. How quick did that go? And how fun was that? Oh, wow. I know. I'm telling you. All right, darling. Thank you, everyone, for listening as well to That's on the Book. I don't advertise this podcast, so if you would please give it a share somewhere, I always appreciate that. Uh, please remember, you can get in contact with me or Sister Ignatia at That's on the Book at Hotmail.com, and we will see you all again next week. Have you even read the fucking book?